So today, as um, we close our, our series worship, like Kimmy told us, um, each week we have been looking at a different worship song, and we've been breaking down the what and the why behind um, that worship song. Now, I, um, I love good music. I've always been a music guy. I've, I've played drums. Uh, at, at our family service, which is our service we do for people that are serving this week, I said I'm a, I'm a musician, and some of you guys laughed at me because you guys don't think I'm a musician anymore because I don't play very often. But it's just like riding a bike, Bob. Um, but I love music. I mean, you can ask people that I know. You can ask my wife. When, if you're at my house, you know I'm always playing music in the background. It's constantly being played. love music. When I'm in the car with my kids, my kids have to fight me to figure out what we're listening to. And the reason why is because what they want to listen to sucks. So I want to listen to what I want to listen to. So it is what it is. I'm trying to teach them. And there's like, there's so many bands and songs that have spoken to me, whether it's just a song that like pumps me up or whether it's a song that connects with me emotionally or spiritually. And a lot of those, those songs are, are worship songs, songs that, that I really connect to that help me grow spiritually. But with all that being said, I don't love all worship music, uh, if I'm being honest. There are some that, um, to me, there's some that sound a little on the cheesy side. And um, being a musician, most worship music's not super creative. And it's intentional because it's trying to make it where everyone can sing it. So if it's really, really, really creative, it's sometimes a barrier for that. So it's, there, there, there's times where there's some songs I'm just like, this song just kind of boring to me. It's not very creative. It's very basic, and it doesn't really speak to me that much. And then there's some worship songs that um, I don't really prefer because it seems like we're singing about ourselves and not about God. Like every once in a while you'll find some of the songs like, are we supposed to be lifting praise and worship to God? But I feel like this song is actually centered about me. Like I'm singing to God about me. Like it, so there's, it balanced that. And because of that, the song that we played at the end, The Blessing um, by Elevation Worship, um, I threw that into that category. It was a song that I actually did not like for a very long time, which is the reason why we haven't played it until basically today, the first time we ever played it, for a couple reasons. One, I heard it and I was like, ah, it's not very creative. Like the course is the word amen. That's all it is. And then the verse is the exact same thing. And then the bridge just kind of repeats a bunch of words at a time. So it's not very creative for me. So I found myself not really enjoying it. And then I also would sing and be like, I feel like this song is about me. Like, bless you, bless you, keep you. It's all about me. And if I'm being honest, I knew who sang the song, Elevation Worship, and they can toe the line between prosperity gospel and self-help at times. So I kind of threw in that category. This isn't, doesn't feel like a worship song because I didn't even know what the meaning was. I didn't know where it came from. And then I looked up and, and tried to figure out where these lyrics came from. And I watched a couple of videos on it, and the more I realized the meaning behind the songs and where it comes from, the more I went from a song I actually didn't like to actually now one of my favorite worship songs around. Because this song actually comes directly from the book of Numbers. So if you have your Bibles, you go open up to book of Numbers, uh, the first, fourth book in your Bible, or you have your Bible as well, Numbers chapter 6. To give you a little background on the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are all part of what is called the Pentateuch. Another word for that is the Torah. Moses wrote all five of these, okay? And it's of the law books. It's talking about the Old Covenant law and what we should be doing. The uh, book of Numbers specifically is really divided up into three sections. Three sections. It is right after the Israelites are freed from Egypt. So if you know the Moses story and parting the Red Sea, after that, it starts at Mount Sinai, where they get the Ten Commandments. The first ten books, uh, ten chapters of this book are at Mount Sinai. Then 13 through 19, the Israelites are at the wilderness in Paran. And then 23 through 36, they're at the plains of Moab. 
And the chapters in between those basically are travel chapters. It's they're traveling from Mount Sinai over to the wilderness of Paran and then eventually to plains of Moab. And Numbers talks a lot about the law. It talks about the tabernacle and the exact measurement it should be in a lot of detail. Some of you would think too much details, like we don't need to know every single one when we read it today. But back then, it had to be the exact measurement of a certain thing. It talks, it does a census, that's hence the book of Numbers. So there's a lot of like this, gener- this tribe has this many people and those kind of things. And because of that, my guess is a lot of you have never read the book of Numbers. Because when you try to read it, it can be a challenge to read it. And if, if you're a new Christian, I've, I've said this a lot, a lot of times when people become a follower of Jesus or starting to get into um, the Bible, they start thinking, okay, I'm just going to read from the beginning. Start from Genesis. And I always say, don't do that. Because by the time you get to the book of Numbers, you're going to stop. Because at that point, it starts to get a little repetitive. And the book of Numbers doesn't fully apply to us. We live by the new covenant now. It's important. We need to read it eventually. But I say start with the Gospels, start with Romans, start with Psalms and Proverbs. Don't start with the book of Numbers. And my guess is you probably never heard a sermon from the book of Numbers because a lot of pastors don't do it because there's a lot of things that are hard to do. But in the book of Numbers, in chapter 6, we have been seeing law after law after law. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Here's the measurement. Here's the census. But then in chapter 6, in verse 24, something changes. It changes. God calls Moses and Aaron over and tells them to speak this blessing over the people of Israel. This blessing would go on to be spoken twice a day, every day, to the people of Israel. That, the, that Moses and Aaron would speak for God over the Israelites, and this is the blessing they would say. It's on the screen. Numbers chapter 6, starting in verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The exact lyrics that we sang. Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you, turn his face towards you, and give you peace. The priestly blessing was spoken over the people to remind them of who God is and what he's doing. So what does God want to remind us through this blessing? Who he is and what he does. So what does God do? The song, just use the exact lyrics, and I'm going to do the thing. First thing God wants to do, he will bless you. He will bless you. We don't always think of God as the God who blesses us. I, I find that sometimes we think of God as the fun. These things that our friends that don't believe in God get to do, and now I don't get to do them because, man, they get, they're all at the ocean right now. We're doing brunch, and I would love to be at the ocean at brunch, but here I am, here. The fun police won't let me because I got to follow God. I, I, I got to do that. So sometimes we think, sure, God loves me, but does he want to bless me? I think God's more concerned with my obedience than he is with blessing me. And what I found is if we think that is who God is, the fun police, then you will never be close to him. Because you are not going to draw closer to someone that you think is just demanding obedience from you. You will keep your distance from someone who demands that. That's not who God is. God wants to bless you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We can go from one extreme, that God doesn't want to bless me, he just wants me to be obedient at all times. But then sometimes we go to the other extreme. God wants me to be happy. He wants, me, he wants to bless me so much that I have everything I need, and he wants me to be happy. And if I don't have things, it's probably a faith issue. I got to have more faith, and then he'll give me everything that I want and I need. 
there's times where we go through both of those extremes. We tend to think that our blessing comes from comfort or happiness or wealth. It's not blessing. It can be. God can bless you with that. But God knows what you need. He won't allow your desire for comfort and your desire for happiness to get in the way of the blessing that he knows you need. He will bless you. That blessing is far better. Every time I think about this, I think of um, when Impact Church started. I'm not going to tell the whole story. If you've been here, you've heard it many times. But we went from fully funded one month to not funded at all the next month. As in, we literally had every bill paid in August, including my salary for the next two years, to September having nothing, and I didn't have a job. That's how extreme it went. So September came, and my wife and I were really praying about what we should do, and we decided that God was still calling us to do it. And what we really started to feel was, God was telling us and speaking to us, saying, you know what, are you still in if it's not just handed to you, if it's not just easy, like you get everything you want? Are you still going to fight for it at that point? And so we felt like, no, we, we, we need to. So we started getting our launch team. Frank and Michelle were the first two people that joined, started figuring things out. And it changed our mindset from there on out. Because it went from we had everything and we just need people to now, hey, if you want to be part of this, you need to, like, contribute. As in, you're going to need to serve. You're going to need to give because we have no money. You have to give if you want to be part of this launch team. It was, it was, it was part of the, the, the deal. That's what you have to do. And from that first Sunday, it wasn't, hey, if you're serving, just get there when you get there. It was like, no, if you're serving, you've got to be here early because that's what we do. That's our mindset. And that mindset is still in this church today. We, we have 20 to 30 people that get here every Sunday at 8, between 8 and 8.30. Some people, 8.45. 8 and 8.30, they start getting here. That mindset's here. If you want to be part of this church, be an owner, it's not will you serve, it's you're going to serve. Where do you want to serve? Because that's the mindset we have. So the, the hardest part of my life, having to raise all this money and do all this stuff, is actually the biggest blessing of this church because it just created a mindset that I believe Jesus wants us to have. That we're not a consumer church. We're a church that if you want to come, you're going to start setting up some chairs at some point. You're going to have to start serving at some point. You're gonna have, we're going to ask you to start giving because if you want to be part of this, that's what it takes. It's changed the mindset. It's the biggest blessing that has happened to this church that I wish didn't happen, but because it happened, God knew that's what we needed. He blessed us. God wants to bless you. But what else does God want to do? God also will keep you. The Greek word here for keep is the word shamar, which also means safeguard or protect. You know what that means? That God looks out for you. He protects you. God keeps you. Um, when I was 10 years old, 1995, um, my family and I went to go see Toy Story. We have a tradition in my family where at the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we all go to the movies. We've had that tradition since I was a kid. We still have that tradition today. The, the bill's a little more expensive for my parents now because all these grandkids show up too. So it's expensive. So we're going to see Toy Story. I'm 10 years old. I'm the oldest of, of my brother and sister. And we're sitting there. My mom's on the end, kids, and my dad's on this end. And a couple comes up to, to sit, and there's no one in the theater. And for some reason, they have to sit right next to my mom. Mom didn't know why. And the guy was a little tipsy. And he was speaking in a way that was probably not the best to be speaking when you're seeing Toy Story with all these kids there. He's dropping F-bombs like crazy. And my mom, I'm sure as sweet as she possibly could, said, um, sir, please, if you could not say the F-word around all my kids in, the, in Toy Story. It's not like we're going to see like Pulp Pictures. I'm going Toy Story. Could you please not use the, the, can you not say that? And the guy says, F you, lady. He didn't say F, but we're church. So my mom says, hey, move down, move down. And my dad's like, what? He's like, no, move down. He's like, why? He's like, just move down. So we move all the way down to the other end. And my dad's like, what happened? My mom tells my dad what happened. And 
my dad was ready to kill someone. He was, who? Who was it? And he was going to beat him up for sure. And my mom's like, no, don't just go get an usher. Go do something. And so he goes and he goes, gets an usher. And I remember, I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. He came up with the usher. He goes right to the guy and goes, this jerk right here. And points at his face like that. It was awesome. Okay. It was great. Kick the guy out. He leaves. And it was awesome. Here's what I know. From that moment on, I knew no one's messing with me when my dad's around. You're not going to talk a certain way when my dad's around. You're not going to mess with me because he will fight you. Unless my mom's there, he'll hold her back. He'll hold him back. And then he will point right in your face and say, get this guy out of here. It was awesome. God keeps you. He keeps you. He protects you. He safeguards you. Psalm 121 says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Some of you may see this and kind of push back a little bit and go, I, I don't feel like the Lord looks out for me. Is that I don't feel like the Lord protects me because I go through a lot of stuff. I don't feel like he keeps me safe because I still have a lot of hurt. I don't know if that's what God does, and I understand that. The Lord keeping you does not mean that we are, that we are now protected from a broken world. What the Lord keeps you means is that when the brokenness of this world invades your life, he's there for you. And for some of us, we haven't allowed God to keep us. Instead, our own desires keep us. Our pride keeps us. Our greed keeps us. Our anger keeps us. But the good news is, if we allow him to, God will keep us. Then the next saying, God will make his face shine upon you. When I read this, I had no clue what this meant. You know what I thought of? I thought of... um. The Baby in the Sun for the Teletubbies. Remember that? Remember that horror movie of a television show that was? That's what I thought of when I thought of God makes his face shine upon you like he's in the sun doing that. That's what I thought. So I had to look up what this meant. I had no clue what this meant. And I found out that this was actually a Hebrew saying or Hebrew slang. Now, I understand sayings and slang because I'm from Baltimore. Okay? We have our sayings. We have our slangs. Here's some things that if you're from Baltimore, you know this. Um, we don't say Baltimore, we say Baltimore, okay, with a D, right? It's Baltimore. We don't have time to pronounce the T. Um, we don't have water in, in Baltimore. What do we have? Water. We have water in Baltimore. Um, we don't have an ambulance. We have an ambulance. That's what we have. We have, we have time. We got to call the ambulance. And then um, some of us right now, we don't go down to the ocean. We go down ocean, hunt. That's what we do, right? That's Baltimore saying. That's Baltimore slang. This would be a saying and a slang that the Hebrew people would use. It's, it's a saying they would use. Make his face shine upon you. Here's what it means. That God is favorable to you. That you brighten up his day. That he cheers you on. One of my um, favorite shows of all time, a show called Parks and Rec, Ben and Leslie, they say a saying that my wife and I now say. They say, I love you and I like you. And that's what this means. That God likes you. He doesn't just love you. He enjoys you. You have to understand this. My kids ask me to watch whatever they do. Whatever they do, they want me to watch. I coach her softball games. I watch them play softball. I watch Noah do karate, uh, that poor karate instructor. I watch, I watch their swim lessons. They make up dances, and I watch those. They make up plays, and they're long, and I watch those. And, and spoiler, they suck at all of it. Um, if I'm being honest, my kids aren't that good at softball. They're getting better. Um, Noah does not listen. And um, they're getting better at swimming, but Noah still won't put his head in. He's going to have to put his head in the water. He won't do it. Um, and then their dances are fine, and their plays just don't, they don't understand lyrics or the lines and how to make things flow correctly. So the plays are a little bad. Anyways, 
they just want my attention. That's all they really want. My love has nothing to do with how good they do at any of that stuff. I like my kids, so I give them the attention that they want. I like them not because of what they do, but because of who they are. That's what God does. Makes his face shine upon you. That he actually enjoys you. Know you more. What does God do? God will be gracious to you. As in, he offers you grace. That means that you do not get what you deserve. That you did a crime that you deserve to be punished for. But God let you off the hook. He didn't let you off the hook because he just said, ah, that's just, don't worry about it. He said, no, Jesus paid for it. So I'm going to let you off the hook. That's called grace. Grace. God is gracious to you. John 1.16 says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. If you were here last week, Michelle talked about provenient grace. There's a sign of provenient grace. That's the grace that comes first. That it's grace that we even have an opportunity to connect with God and receive that grace. His fullness, we all receive grace in place of grace already given. Um, I don't know you necessarily personally and what you're going through. Some of you I do, but all I know is I know that I need grace desperately. I get angry and impatient with my kids way more than I should. I get impatient with my family when they just don't go the speed I want them to go. Um, at times I treat my wife like she owes me instead of submitting to her like the Bible calls me to do. I struggle with my thoughts, with my eyes, with my desires, with my attention. And here's the worst. Sometimes I think I'm good, as in I don't do that for a week, and I'm good. Yeah. Like, like I know, I understand grace, and I understand that, that I don't fully deserve it, but there's times where I'm like, it's got to be a little easier to love me. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I read the Bible a lot, and I don't do all this stuff. It's got to be a little easier to love me. And here's some, something else. Like, I'll look at... Um, people online posting on, on Facebook and Instagram out posts a lot and I'll think things like this, man, why do they think that they need to tell everybody this post? They, they have to let everyone know their stance on this. Why do they need to do this? I would never do that because I, I just, I know I don't need that kind of attention. It's so prideful of them. And all of a sudden, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just not posting. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so much better because I don't post anything. So I'm, I'm, I have to show pride and arrogance in my humility at times. And I start to think, you know what, I, I need grace but a little less than others, and that's when I really realize, man, I need so much grace. That even when I'm doing good, I still need grace. I need grace just like you need grace. And the blessing says that he will be gracious to you. Good thing for me and you is that God is gracious to us. He shows us mercy and grace. Then it says God will turn his face towards you. There's a um, popular Christian belief, one that some of you may have because I've heard it, spoken before, that says when Jesus was on the cross and he died on the cross, that the God, God the Father had to turn away from his son and die on the cross because Jesus bore all the sins of this world and God is so holy he could not look on it, so he had to turn away from it. It's a belief that has been around for a while. You may have heard that belief. Um, and people mainly think that because Jesus on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what we have to understand is God did not turn away from Jesus on the cross. Here's how we know. Jesus is quoting, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. He's showing full prophecy. If you read Psalm 22, it starts with all this despair and defeat, but it ends with victory. He's showing the prophecies, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you know Psalm 22, you know what's about to happen. Number one. Number two, how do we know this? Because Jesus is fully God. So why can the Father not look at sin, but Jesus can bear it all? Fully God. 
Number three, sin cannot split up the Trinity. In fact, the entire Trinity suffers on the cross because they are united in action. And then four, there are so many examples. For example, of God looking upon sin. I mean, in Genesis, God searches for Adam and Eve after they've sinned. Searches for them. How, how come he couldn't be like, I can't look at you. You just ate that. You just sinned. No, he searches for him. Jesus constantly went to the sick, constantly went to the poor, constantly went to sinners, and not only looked at them, interacted with them, ate with them, would touch them and heal them. Jesus says this in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God turns his face towards you because he's coming for you first. You cannot find him without him coming first. So God turning his face towards you means that he is moving first. He is for you first. My favorite story in the Bible, which is it's a story that, that Jesus makes up, uh, is the story of the prodigal son. The son runs off with his father's inheritance, and spends all of his father's inheritance on, on wild living. He's broke. He has nothing left. So he decides, I'm going to go back to my father and just beg to be a servant again because I can never be a son again. I know that. I, I've ruined my chance. I'm going to go back and beg him to be a servant again. And when he's walking closer and closer to the house, the father sees his son, and he runs off, and he goes to his son. He leaves his house and his, and his porch, and he runs towards his son. That's what fathers do. He sees his son, and he goes after him. And that's what God does for you. That even though you have sinned, and I have sinned, he turns his face towards you. He comes after you first. Then what else will God do? He will give you peace. The Hebrew word here is a word called shalom. It means wholeness and goodness and total satisfaction in life. Everyone in life is seeking this peace, to be complete and whole and satisfied. Yet so many are looking for it in the wrong places. But Jesus tells us where to find everlasting peace. It's in him. John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you my peace I give you. I do not give it give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Full and complete satisfaction in life is found in one place. It's found through Jesus Christ. God wants to give you peace. So like the blessing says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. When I was reading this, there's two different words that really stuck out to me that if you look at it, you may be able to catch it. There are two words that are repeated more than once. Two words. The first word is Lord. Lord's repeated three times. And here's what I love about this. This passage is illustrating to us the Trinity. It's not explaining it to these to the old, uh, people in the Old Covenant. It's, it's illustrating it. The Old Covenant, they would not have understood the triune God of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here we're seeing a glimpse of it. God the Father blesses and keeps his children. God the Son makes his face shine on you and brings you grace. And God the Holy Spirit communicates God's attention to us and gives us peace. This passage isn't teaching the Israelites about the Trinity, but it's the shadow of a triune God that we learn about later in life, all the way back in Numbers. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then another word that's repeated multiple times is the word you. Six times the word is repeated. The Lord bless you. Lord, keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. He is for you. Like the song says, 
but he's not for you because you are so good. He's for you because when he's for you, a sinner who doesn't deserve it, when he's for me, a sinner who doesn't deserve it, it shows how good he is, how amazing his love is. This shows his glory. He shows why he deserves our worship. When he is for you, someone who doesn't deserve it, it shows how amazing he is. He is for you, not for your glory, but for your love. And then chapter 26 ends with this. Or at chapter 6, verse 27 says this. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. To be blessed by God is to have his name on you. You know what that means? You are now identified with him. It's your identity. Um, if you're married, you get this. My wife's maiden name is Cusick. wife's maiden name. That was her identity her entire life. And she got married. And she went from Erica Greta Cusick to Erica Greta Valenstein. Now my kids, all three. Brooklyn, Gail Valenstein. Savannah Richie Valenstein. Noah West Valenstein. It's their identity. We are family. It's who we are. You see this blessing isn't just spoken over us. It invades who we are, and it gets passed down generation, generation, generation. Uh, like I said at the beginning, first couple times I heard this song, which is actually a couple years old now, I didn't love this song at first. It wasn't until I kind of understood more of it. But what really changed me is um, an event that our denomination does called District Assembly. And I'll explain it to you really quick. We're a church, if you're new, you don't know, you know this, but we're a church as part of the Church Nazarene denomination. Church Nazarene is a very young denomination, started in 1908. Um, but it's a Christian denomination. I get this question a lot, like, does that mean, like, we're, like, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? We haven't heard that. It's like, no, we're very much Christian denomination. Um, and so every year, we do what's called a district assembly. And at this district assembly, we all meet all the churches that's part of our district of the Church of Nazarene. Our district is Maryland and Pennsylvania, these in some of Pennsylvania. So all the churches, Church of Nazarene churches that are part of that, um, they go to this district assembly. Part of it is hearing stories of what's happening in our district, hearing what other churches are doing. Some of it's things like voting and, and things like that that are a little more boring. And then we always have an ordination service at the end. At this ordination service, we authorize and we authenticate men and women to become ordained pastors of the Church of the Nazarene. And it's a long process. It's a long process. At the minimum, this process is four years. At the minimum, most time it takes even longer than that. It's 33 classes you have to take. It's a lot of service hours. It's multiple intense interviews. And at the end, if you get ordained, that is people saying, we authorize and authenticate the call of ministry into your life. So it kind of starts in three ways. It starts with local pastor's license. If someone wants to become a pastor, they start at their local church. And the church board, so the church board of this church, would interview them and say, we authorize and authenticate the call of ministry into your life. That's a local pastor's license. You're not a pastor yet, but you're on the process. The next step is a district, uh, you become a district pastor, a district license. And this, you're legally a pastor. Pastor Michelle has her district license. That means she's gone through the interview process. She had to take a bunch of classes. Um, she had an interview with our district, and they authorized and authenticated the call of ministry into her life. Then you get ordained. And that's where I am. Michelle's going to be there in a year. Um, that's where the entire church nomination says, no, we've authorized and authenticated the call of ministry into your life. So when people get ordained, it is a big deal. It is a special moment for them. And the way that our district celebrates it is they have all the ordained pastors that are there come up to the stage, and we sing in a choir. 
That means that I go up, up on stage in a suit and I sing in a choir. If you want to see a picture, we have some. And man, I don't look like I'm having fun because I was not having fun. Okay, I can't sing. One, first time I went up there, they went, all right, tenors over here, alphas over here. I was like, I don't know what I am. So I looked to see someone I liked and I sat stood next to them. So we up there and we sing these songs and it's really just a way to get all of our the ordained pastors up on stage. And then whoever's getting ordained right then, last, last district assembly, there's about 12 of them. They will come up one by one. The district superintendent, which is my boss, and the general superintendent, which is his boss, will pray over them, put hands on them, and say, we are now ordaining you to be a pastor of the church of Nazarene. Everybody claps. It's a big deal. They go and sit back down. So we've done this year after year after year, but there's something we did this year that was different, that was really special to me. It's all over. Service is about to end. We sing one more song. And the song we sang was The Blessing. So these brand new pastors that are ordained are standing there and hundred pastors that have already been ordained are singing this song over them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. We're singing it over them. So as we sing this song as we close, when the worship team sings this song and worship team, you can start heading on up. They aren't necessarily singing this song for them. They're singing this song over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. They're singing it over you. But here's another interesting part. When you sing it, you're singing it over them. That's what we are doing. We are practicing this blessing, speaking this blessing, the blessing that God gives into other people's lives. They are doing it to you. You're doing it right back to them. As we close today, and as we sing this song one more time, I want you to think about who God is, what he has done for you, what he is revealing to you, and then this is your opportunity to sing this blessing over somebody else. That's what this song is. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for being a God that is for us. Not because we deserve it, not because we're so good, but because you are so good. And thank you for being a God who is gracious to us, turns his face towards us. Thank you for being a God who allows us to draw closer to you, who, who gives us the opportunity to connect with you so that we can have everlasting peace. And dear God, I pray that as we sing this song one more time, as we sing this song, that whoever needs to feel that, feel your presence, that, that you just reveal yourself right now to them that we use this opportunity to sing the blessing you've given all of us over each other to remind ourselves of how amazing of a God you are. In your son's name, amen. Let's sing this song together.